coming up on this episode of The Hive Life. I really like to hang on to the startup mentality because I think it says something about the culture, the commitment to innovation, uh, that, that we're still in a battle, we're still in a fight. Uh, that feels important to me. Welcome to The Hive Life, where we pull back the curtain on Spherical Media, a company based in Charlotte, North Carolina, with a team of former journalists that create beautiful, impactful stories that connect with your audience. Welcome inside the Lincoln Podcast Studio. I'm Jared Latch alongside Tim Bear. We're joined by Mac Lackey, a serial entrepreneur and investor who has a passion for other entrepreneurs, well known across the Charlotte landscape. And Mac, we're happy to have you join us. Very happy to be here. Thank you. And during this episode, we want to walk through a couple different things, including the business landscape and opportunities here in the Queen City. Growth, we'll hit you up for some general advice, as much as you want to share, and then tap into how you are utilizing video on the personal branding side. But first, give us just a, a brief summary of your background and to what you're currently doing. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm an actually a native Charlottean. I've been in Charlotte my whole life. Uh, I have been an entrepreneur since 1995. I started my first tech company, uh, which was an internet-focused business shortly after Netscape launched the uh, World Wide Web browser. So I've been a grandfather in the industry. Um, and for the last 24 years, I've been an entrepreneur. I've been very fortunate to have built and sold uh, five companies, uh, all of which have been based or headquartered here in Charlotte. So uh, I've kind of stuck around through some of the challenging early times and uh, now largely trying to work with young uh, emerging entrepreneurs to kind of help them do the same. So having all those businesses and being a Charlottean, which you don't hear all the time, just talk a little bit about the, what the business climate is now in terms of what it is, what it's been, where it's going, and maybe some of the opportunity. Yeah, it's changed a, a lot over the years. I, I'd say one of the most interesting things is being an entrepreneur when I got started was was not a cool thing. Uh, I remember going to events and people would ask me, you know, what do you do? And I would say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And you could see their face like, oh, I'm sorry, you couldn't get a real job, you know. <laughs> so, um so the fact that it has become interesting and almost aspirational for a lot of people to be entrepreneurs has certainly helped me in what, what I do. Um, but the Charlotte landscape itself has matured a tremendous amount. The ecosystem around an entrepreneur with an idea is pretty powerful. So you can go from an idea, you can connect to mentors, you can connect to capital, you can connect to service providers, whether it's you know, technical or in your, you know, like you guys with, with amazing video skills and content development skills. So that has matured a tremendous amount and uh, I think really helps ideas emerge. So that's probably the biggest change as I've seen it is just, you know, seeing that ecosystem develop. You know, it makes up a good point. I was in a group setting maybe last week, and it's in a new group called II Charlotte, and it's all about entrepreneurs. And, and it's similar to what you're talking about, those ecosystems, building those out. One of the things they talked about was the Charlotte startup community sort of lagging because of the banks being here. And the idea being that, you know, there's a lot of smart minds in the city, but a lot of them are being sucked into the banks and they have good jobs and they're getting good paychecks. And so they're not as likely to make that jump. Do you see that as being sort of the part of Charlotte's system as well? I do. I think it's a challenge. As a matter of fact, uh, ironically, I think I, I posted about this uh, over the past week. 
I think it really comes down to view of risk. And my mentality is choosing to be an entrepreneur, choosing to start a company actually reduces risk um, versus choosing a corporate job, let's say at a bank, which is you know prevalent here in Charlotte. You know, those jobs are uh, high paid. They can be they can have great benefits. But the reality is you do not control your destiny. Uh, You do not control your upside. So if that bank is performing poorly, your job is at risk. If that division that you're in gets shifted to another city, your job is at risk. So I think we as a group have to reframe how we think about risk and look at entrepreneurship and small business as a risk mitigant, not a risk taker. Um, But I think that there's still a lot of that mentality in Charlotte because the banks have been here. They've been a great source of jobs. um, And, you know, changing that mindset definitely takes some time. So you look at what most entrepreneurs would say, it's, it's risky. They don't want to take the jump. They don't want to do it. It all comes down to them. You go counterintuitive to that idea. So if I am an entrepreneur sitting at that, that first step on the runway trying to take off, what do you see as a couple essentials as far as mindset leading to action? Yeah, it's a great question. And I do look at it a little bit differently. And that's because I think... Um, one, I'm a, a big believer in the decision to be an entrepreneur. I know how rewarding it can be. I've, I've benefited on so many levels, personally and professionally. Uh, I've watched a lot of other people do it. So when people go from what I call an almostpreneur uh, or they're an aspirational entrepreneur, the big thing is to, to get their mindset that it is not a black and white thing. If, for example, you were to leave a bank and you were leaving a perceived secure job, you had an idea to start a company, That company you tried for six months or a year, it didn't really achieve what you wanted. The reality is you can go right back to being a banker, but now you go back with a different set of skills. The peers that were sitting beside you in the cubicle at the bank that have one skill set didn't learn how to raise money, didn't learn how to create a brand, didn't learn how to sell, didn't learn how to hire, how to lead, how to handle HR. That's now in your skill set. So your business didn't work, but you're 10 times more valuable than you were before. So if you go into it with that mindset of my worst case scenario is actually not a bad thing, it kind of frees you to pursue it. Um, so I think that's a big one. And then the other is just making sure that uh, you are taking the market feedback. If you have a new idea for, let's say, an apparel company or a product, entrepreneurs can get really convicted, but you need the market to tell you where to go next. So I, I'm a big believer in get the what a lot of people call minimum viable product or initial product get it out into the market and let the market tell you how to iterate it, how to evolve it, how to take it to the next level. Don't get stuck on your idea. That's an interesting way of thinking to just give it a shot and be exposed to different things because you run into different conversations with people when they're they're searching for jobs and they'll say, well, I don't want to take that job as if they're going to get locked into it for life. So it's that same sort of thinking now at an entrepreneurial level to get something off the ground and say, you know what, if it doesn't work in six to eight months or a little over a year, I can always go back to what I was doing. And, and that's not a thought I think that you see across the board. Yeah. You know, uh, Jared actually has some notes here and one of them is we're sitting in the Lincoln podcast room and I don't think you know this, but the reason it's the Lincoln podcast room is because our first physical office was in the kick office on Lincoln. And so each room here is named for a different location that we've been in, uh, along the way. 
really shows your ability to support entrepreneurs. I mean, we were in a very startup, very early stage. Uh, you guys were doing great things with Kick, and you gave us that opportunity to have a space to actually think and work together and, and get things going. So how important is that for entrepreneurs along the way to get that, you know, not necessarily hand out, but that hand up? Yeah, well, I, that is great to hear that. I, I did not know that. Um, that's really cool. So. I think it's a really critical part of the ecosystem, which is, um, you know, I, and I've said this to groups of bankers, for example, you know, a lot of people that work in the banking environment might say, well, there's really nothing I can do to help entrepreneurs. But if you walk in one of the towers downtown and there's empty space, how about letting an entrepreneur work at that desk that's sitting empty? How about using your skills to enable them? And I think we, uh, as a group, of entrepreneurs, you know, really have tried to say, yeah, if you're trying to get something going, we want to be supportive, we want to be helpful. And there's always a little bit of a give and take, you know, I've learned a lot from you guys, because you have different skills than I do. Um, if I've helped you in any way, I, I feel like I've probably disproportionately benefited from having <laughs> your skill set. So um, I think that mentality of we all rise together, uh, versus, you know, zero sum game, I win, you lose, or vice versa is, is really important. And two words that are usually associated with entrepreneurs are creativity and, and innovation. Do you think it's in helping one another where those words are most prominent? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, again, my mentality is I, I tell people a lot, I, I feel like there are a few things I do well, there's a lot of things I don't do well at all. And so what I try to do is get ideas out. Uh, products out, things on the whiteboard, and let smart people around me iterate and evolve them. And so uh, I've watched that happen again and again. You reference Kick, the business we started out in, the, the original vision I had, and the company we sold to NBC Sports a few years later, totally different business. Sure. But that's because we went to the market, the market said, hey, that's a cool idea, but here's an even better one. We listened to the market, we iterated it, we got a lot of smart people involved, and then ultimately we were able to turn that into something that was valuable to you know a big company. So uh, I think that sort of innovation is not um, held with one person, another bad stereotype. I like to think I'm creative, but I do not like when people say, oh, you're, you know, people are visionary. That is a group decision. That is something that happens in groups and ecosystems. Sure, someone has a spark of an idea, but it, it takes a village, right? So mm -hmm. um, that's your team, that's the people around you, that's the ecosystem that really makes it uh, powerful. You know, you mentioned Kick and selling to NBC Sports. Um, you've sold a couple of companies along the way. Was that always the plan when you started? Um, some people, you know, when you're reading the Inc. articles and the Fast Company articles, they all say, you know, you need to have that exit strategy in, in the plans as you're going through it. Was that always the idea? So my very first company uh, was started with a very small loan from a family member. Um, it was a garage startup in every sense of the word. We never built it to sell it. We never imagined selling it. The space that we were in in the late 90s heated up and we started getting offers. And eventually there was an offer that we couldn't refuse. You know, it was kind of a life changer financially and, and opportunity. And when I saw that, that, you know, we worked really hard for three years to build something, but we were rewarded at the end of that process, I kind of fell in love with the process. And so almost every business since then, I have had a plan to sell it. But I like to tell entrepreneurs, if you build a great business and you, you design it so that it's really valuable to someone else, you always have the option not to sell it. You give yourself optionality. 
I'm working on something right now that, that we haven't even talked about called Exit DNA, which is, a, is something I'm going to work with a lot of entrepreneurs on, kind of infusing that exit mentality into the DNA of a startup. How do you build value? How do you align the team? But that doesn't mean you have to sell your company. That just means you are thoughtful about building it so that it's worth selling and someone wants to pay you a premium for it. How do you define when you're no longer considered a startup company? What is that barometer measuring stick where you say, okay, we've graduated that label or maybe we'll be a startup for as long as we can envision? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, um, I probably would also answer this differently than a lot of people. Um, most people would say when you have achieved um, profitability, when you have paying customers, you have product market fit, you know, you've kind of graduated out of the startup because it could, you know, fail at any moment kind of thing. Um, I really like to hang on to the startup mentality because I think it says something about the culture, the commitment to innovation, uh, that, that we're still in a battle, we're still in a fight. Uh, that feels important to me. So I've had companies, uh, you know, four or five years that have generally passed what mo- most people would say the definition of a startup, but I still call it a startup. <laughs> um, you've moved a little bit now down the line that you're not only starting companies, you're also investing in them. And you're on that side of the, the aisle now. When you look at an investment opportunity, what are you looking for? I mean, entrepreneurs out there that are listening to this would kill us if we didn't ask you that. Mm-hmm. But what are those things that are really sticking out to you when you're approaching something like that? Yeah, I think it's uh, one of the things that has happened for me. Um, I've been been very fortunate to you know put myself in a position where I, I could make some investments. I actually uh, still to this day would say I'm not a good investor. That's not my skill set. I've partnered with a group, Venture South, which is professional you know investors, um, so that I could get the benefit of diligence. But when I look at an opportunity, you know, it's always the same two or three things. You you look for the market opportunity they're going after, the total addressable market, as people would say, you look at the product, you look at the business model, and then ultimately you bet the jockey. And so I would always bet on a very talented entrepreneur or team with an okay product idea before I would bet on an amazing product with an okay team. So it's always bet the jockey for me. And there's a, there's a market you're trying to reach now uh, via video. We need to bring that up as part of this, uh, this podcast. How have you been working that into what you're doing in terms of a, a personal branding side? And you could probably, you know, preface that with a, a little bit of, of what you're looking to do and, and the why. Sure. You know, I think part of the process for me, uh, having sold, you know, my fifth company last year, it really was a, a point in life where I said, you know, I, I have this mission to help other people. I also think there is an opportunity for me to do that. Um, and so I'm sort of looking at the next chapter of my life as a, a mentor, a coach, an advisor to a lot of people in the startup space. And I'm trying to formalize that now. I've got some pretty cool plans that I'm working on. But as part of that, as you said, uh, video and social media both struck me as an area where despite my experience and credentials and whatever you may want to say that would qualify me, if I cannot be discovered online, if I cannot articulate to someone that's not sitting in Charlotte why I can help them or how I can help them, I'm not going to be in a good position. And so I felt like there were a lot of social media gurus that didn't really have, you know, candidly the experience or background to do something that they were doing a much better job than I and some of my peers were doing to uh, reach potential customers and people they could help. 
So I made a commitment to myself that I'm going to figure it out. And I am, you know, social media is not something I'd put a lot of energy into. Video is not something I knew much about, but I just committed that that's the way I'm going to build a business is I'm going to get good at it. And uh, so I'm still learning, but that's kind of the process I'm on. And what was it about video that, that really piqued your interest outside of just being able to reach people outside of your Charlotte market? What else was it that really drives you to think that there's success behind using that? Yeah, I think there are two big things with video. One is I think directionally it's where the market is going, right? So people want to consume video. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's kind of a mobile first video heavy uh, mentality, which makes sense. But the other thing for me is I believe very strongly that I have a, just like everyone, I have a style that people like or don't like. You know, it is just my style. I am not for everyone. Um, I'm very informal. I dress the way I dress. I talk the way I talk. And in video, you can see that. You can see the way I carry myself, the way I present myself. And if that resonates with you, it would probably be a good opportunity for us to collaborate. If you watch one of my videos and you think, this guy's a clown, he's not the right fit for me, good. That's that's sort of a filter. So I think it's an authentic way to um, share your true um, mentality, the way you, you know, the way you do business, the way you think about life, which you could never pick up on the written word or maybe even audio in some cases. So for you, motivation wise, going through being a part of a, a number of different companies and being successful and, and selling those and transitioning out, what motivates you? I know there's been this kind of shift now to more of a mentorship idea and aspect to what you're doing, but what drove you all those years and, and what continues to drive you? Yeah, I think early on, I probably had a little bit of a, a chip on my shoulder. I think I, I liked being the um, kind of the black sheep in that I didn't have a pedigree. Uh, I didn't, you know, I probably uh, would not have lined up for a great job at one of the banks that my peers aspired to. And so I kind of had to create my own path and have had a little bit of a I'm going to prove I can do it mentality. And then somewhere along the way, I found that choosing to be an entrepreneur, one of the most powerful things other than pursuing your passions is controlling your time. You know, I, I talk a lot about what I, I refer to as life wealth, which is, you know, the day-to-day -day reality for me, and, and this has been true when I've had some financial success and when I haven't, is I, you know, take my daughters to school every day, I have dinner with them every night, I go to every play. If FC Barcelona is playing at two o'clock today, I will be watching the game. I will not be sitting <laughs> in a conference room. And so that ability to control time and not have a trade-off has been really motivating for me. And so I've kind of continued to say, I don't accept any trade-offs. People tell me, you know, if you're gonna be really successful, your family's gonna suffer. If you're gonna wanna travel, your business is gonna suffer. And I've continued to say, I don't accept that. It's gonna be and, I'm gonna be successful and spend time with my family. I'm going to be wealthy and travel the world. I'm going to, you know, so that commitment has forced me to every day, every week, every month, not only show up, but focus on how do I turn the dials to get more efficient? How do I do it better? Um, and that still motivates me. That makes sense. I mean, in a way, you look at the new phrase right now, the work-life rhythm instead of work-life balance, which makes a lot of sense because I think if you look at it as work-life balance, you think you have to segment those things and keep them completely separate, which causes a lot of anxiety because you're thinking, this is all personal time right now and I can't think about work or vice versa. And that I think you're speaking to the work-life rhythm where you and your business are one. Yep. So you need to accept that 
figure out the best way to enjoy both parts. Yeah, actually, it's funny. I, I have not heard it called that specifically. I've called it work-life fusion for a long time. Um, exact same concept, and it requires a couple things. One is your business partners, your team, your employees, your you know ecosystem have to uh, understand the way you work, um, and your family has to appreciate the same things. And what that's allowed for me is I have businesses that are doing really well that they know there's no friction when I don't show up because I have a priority, which is my family, or I have an event that I've agreed to participate in. The same way my wife doesn't think it's weird that on a Sunday I spend all day you know, working on something I'm passionate about because Tuesday I'm taking off to go to one of my daughter's plays or we're traveling out of the country or whatever the case is gonna be. So that, that fusion is a commitment that I think both sides have to have, but I think it's the reality. If you wanna be not only successful, but have a great life, you just have to have that. It's not, you're exactly right. You can't segment and have balance because something's always giving. So I'm going to bring it back to Charlotte specific. Um, you've obviously lived here for quite some time. What is it or what are your favorite things about living and working in this city? I think it's changed over time. Um, I did grow up here. Um, so my family's here, you know, I have a small family. My parents are here. My wife's family's here. But uh, early on, there was a little bit of the, again, I'm going to kind of prove to the world, you know, I was given a term sheet in the late 90s for millions and millions of dollars. If I moved my company out of Charlotte, the, this group was going to fund me. And I basically tore it up and said, I'm not moving. I'm going to prove I can do it from Charlotte. So there was a little bit of this, I'm going to prove it to the world, not only for myself, but even for the city that, hey, you can build a tech startup in Charlotte, North Carolina, or you can build an apparel company like Mountain Khakis out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, so that was very motivating to me. And then I think over the years, you know, the things that everybody talks about, I mean, the quality of life is, is great. The cost of hiring an engineer here versus Silicon Valley, the, whole, the cost of, you know, employing people, those things have become a big draw for me. Um, so I think the quality of life. But now I think Charlotte legitimately has an ecosystem and an opportunity set on par with most major cities in the country, in the world. And we also realize that the the fluidity of business is, you know, I'm you know I'm here today. I'm going to be in at a board meeting in Pennsylvania in a day. I'm going to be you know in Europe next week. I mean, so that ability to it doesn't matter where you are. So choose where you want to live because it's where you want to live. You know, you can do business everywhere. What are you most excited about across the Charlotte landscape right now? What's upcoming that you think is really going to move the needle in the right direction? Um, it's a great question. I, I, unlike a lot of people in and around Charlotte, I've had a, an ability or the curse of keeping my head in the sand. I'm not a, uh, you know, I don't uh, follow some of the major sports franchises, which I know a lot, I'm excited about for Charlotte, but it's not my personal passion. But I have uh, really enjoyed the, the restaurants and the bars and the culture that have started to creep into Charlotte because it gives me something new to explore. You know, so when we think about going out to dinner for a long time, it was one of five places. Now that, you know, there's a new place every weekend I can check out. Uh, so that's pretty exciting for me. I think the uh, the growth of the, you know, the actual sub markets like, you know, South End, where I've had businesses for many, many years. 
I went through the first uh, building in South End with a hard hat on, and they were moving bums out of the way to so we could see the building. And those buildings now are some of the most premium real estate in Charlotte, and people have moved into the area. So seeing that transformation is pretty cool as well. It's something I really love. So what's the best way for people to find you? Um, so, you know, I think I, my core uh, site, maclackey.com, is, uh, you know, I, I generally post uh, content there. Uh, you can certainly follow me on all the social channels, you know, at MacLackey or on LinkedIn, MacLackey. It's pretty consistent across the board. And finally, Mac, final question. One piece of advice, if you had to hone in on one thing to put your finger on for an entrepreneur, what would that be? One piece of advice. I think the reality of almost every success story you see for an entrepreneur is just the resolve to stay with it because I think we all have moments. I've had them even in the last year or two, despite success where I got punched in the face really hard by something, the rug gets pulled out from under you. So the sheer determination to get to the end line, I think differentiates and separates those that are successful from those that aren't. Well, Mac, appreciate your time, insight here today. Remember, you can find out more about us at spiraclebuzz.com. You can also find additional podcasts available on iTunes. For Tim Bear and Mac Lackey, I'm Jared Latch saying thanks for listening. And as Mac said earlier, start controlling your time. You've been listening to The Hive Life, brought to you by Spiracle Media. Always remember, you can visit spiraclebuzz.com or follow us at Spiracle Media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'll see you next time on The Hive Life.